0: I'll just use git blame to figure it out. And W. Gantt wrote it. Will, your code sucks and you're a horrible person. In this episode, we're going to talk about how to approach other developers when you found something horribly wrong with their code in a way that doesn't create conflict on your team. Now, with Will, I can tell him straight up, dude, your code sucks. And 90% of the time, his response will be, I know, and this is why I had to do it that way. Or I know, and I don't care. Yeah. But before we get started, Will, what have you been uh, fighting this week?
1: Well, uh, I was sick as a dog Sunday. I, my, my throat was a little bit scratchy. And um, I was like, okay, I'll go to the Vietnamese place, get some pho. You know, usually that clears it out. Got back home, just kept feeling worse. Finally went to sleep. Kind of tried to work through it Monday. Kept feeling worse. Ended up taking Tuesday off, going to the doctor. Um, I had a, a fever, 102.1. Uh, turned out it was not coronavirus, or at least you know I got a negative test, so whatever. Fever broke. Was it Wednesday night? I think. Tuesday night or Wednesday night, when the fever broke. And I'm basically fine now, except for a little bit stuffy, but man, that messed my week up. Oh, yeah. Because we're, we're onboarding new people at work, including one onto my team. And somebody had to kind of take over for me the day I was out, and we weren't able to record Tuesday. So, yeah, it's, uh, it feels very strange right now. Like it feels like it's Tuesday, but it's actually Thursday. (laughs) And yeah, yeah. I keep having to catch myself on that. Yeah. So, how about you?
0: I, uh, had to go into the office today, actually. So, had some weird VPN issues, uh, when I got back from lunch yesterday. And, Then, like, I think it was just my laptop was having some weird connection stuff. And then it locked me out. And so I called to get them to unlock it and everything. Apparently, they had some wrong information about me in our ticketing system. So they couldn't verify my identity. (laughs) So I had to actually go into the office this morning, which was really interesting because it is also 21 days of prayer. And so I'm going to church every morning for prayer service. And this morning, I happened to be the first in my three-day rotation in the booth. So I got up at 4.30 this morning to be at church by 5.30. And then as soon as we got out of service at 7, I left and drove up to Nashville. So that was my adventure today. Thankfully, traffic wasn't that bad. I mean, there were some some parts of it. but I remember driving in pre-COVID, and yeah, that was not near as bad. Uh, and I found a decent parking spot. Still had to walk a little bit because uh, our my new office is in a different building, so it's a little further away. But uh, yeah, first time actually going up to the the floor that I'm work on because you know been at home. Uh, other than when I went in and picked up my laptop, and that just was in the lobby. So. That was my adventure for the day. In better news, my Mac Mini came in this week. I uh, actually came in yesterday. Spent the, not the better part, but a good part of last night setting it up. I went with the M1 chip instead of the Intel. It was a little bit cheaper. And most of the tools I use are available for M1 since uh, that's the direction that Apple is going. I figured I'd go with it uh, on the smaller purchase. Yeah, you know, See if it works with the Mac Mini before I get one in a MacBook Pro. So honestly, the Mac Mini still aren't really cheap. I mean, it was about as expensive as my laptop was. So, yeah. I mean, they're, they're not cheap. It's cheap for a Mac, though. So that's that's cool. Speaking of Mac, it's really cool to own one. You know, I've been using one for work for years, but I haven't owned my own. Well, I say that I, I have a couple of older ones that people have given me, but uh, not like a new Mac. Um, I got it mostly for creativity. So like photo, video, audio editing. And podcasting, podcast recording, um, doing the stuff—the most of the work I do for the podcast will be on that. Actually, all the work I do for the podcast will be on that, unless I'm writing an outline and sitting at a coffee shop or something, you know. So well,
1: that's small yeah. enough you could take it, right? If you had a yeah, and
0: a monitor, and a keyboard, and a mouse.
1: Yeah, he's total hipster. Oh yeah, yeah,
0: uber hipster. But uh, if all goes well, I'll likely save up and get myself a MacBook Pro in a year or two with the M1 chip.
1: So now, when are you switching over the podcast recording to that?
0: Uh, it'll probably be a week or two. I I don't want to do it right away because we're a little bit behind, and I don't want anything to mess that up. But since I'm not doing the editing, I'm going to actually be able to just record it and put it on Dropbox. Right. But yeah, I know plenty of people who use the same tools that we use and use Mac Minis. So I, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a better experience. Uh, it's. You know, step one in my office overhaul. Speaking of that, I finally cleaned out my spare room this past Wow. Week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it started off as a music and art room, but then sort of turned into a storage room over time. It's functional now. Like, you know, you it's nice and everything. Not quite set up the way I exactly want it, but I have some ideas on how I want to use it. And so I'm looking forward to like getting that all hammered out in the next few weeks. So that's, that's pretty cool. Saving money is hard,
1: especially when your code sucks. Lucas Casades is a fee-only certified financial planner. He owns and runs Level Up Financial Planning virtually out of Fort Collins, Colorado.
0: Just like us here at Complete Developer Podcast, he focuses on helping you not only establish a real plan, but also taking action on that plan so that you can live your best life.
1: Investing in financial planning services really comes down to whether or not you can improve your finances with the help of Level Up. The compounding impact of making better financial decisions will easily pay for itself. Yeah. Level Up also has a
0: really cool, unique pricing model that will help you no matter where you are in your financial journey. So you may be thinking, oh, well, I'm a junior developer. I just started out. Doesn't matter. He has a, a plan for you. And I've looked through these. I've talked to people about them. We have We know a couple of people who have actually started working with him and have
1: seen improvements. Lucas is also a fiduciary for his clients, which means he's not here to sell you a product, but to help guide you to a better financial situation. Yeah. So guys, you can find
0: out more and catch his podcast, Techie Personal Finance Bootcamp, where he covers financial topics you probably face and interviews other developers, other techies, who share how they navigated their careers and you can also learn more at levelupfinancialplanning.com.
1: In the early 1200s, Muhammad, Shah of Khwarizm, which is a city in uh, the city of Samarkand uh, in modern Uzbekistan, was approached by some ambassadors. Uh, and these guys were seeking to establish new trade routes with a warlord from the east along the Silk Road. Um, insulted, the Shah had the ambassadors beheaded. In 1220, this same warlord sacked the city of Samarkand, slaughtering everybody who fled to the keep and pressing tens of thousands of residents into his service. The warlord's name was Genghis Khan, and it was a bad idea to take him off. The sultan's reaction was not appropriate to the situation at hand, and it caused Genghis Khan to eventually declare war, a war that ended up killing the sultan and everybody around him. It's not just the message that has to be delivered that gets you into trouble. It's the way you deliver it.
0: While your coworkers aren't Genghis Khan, the same basic dynamic of human behavior still applies. You periodically are going to have to tell someone that there's something wrong with their code. And the way in which you do it can have a profound and remarkable impact on the way your team interacts from there on out. People are protective of their code. It's something that they put a lot of effort into, they put a lot of their selves into. Some people put a, like, consider their code like their child. You know, they, they think of it as a reflection of their quality as a person. Whether or not this is right doesn't matter. The fact that they do it is what matters. You will get bad reactions when you criticize code in the wrong way. And those reactions can linger for years, slowly eroding team morale and cohesion, probably causing even worse code to be written over time.
1: However, you also can't just let bad code linger in your code base um, if it's actually bad, because that also degrades the quality of the code base and can lead to problems for the entire team, not just the person who wrote the bad code. Um, in fact, those people often you know, end up leaving six months from now and you're still stuck with the code 10 years later. Bad code also tends to accrete more bad code over time because people end up writing bad code to mitigate the problems caused by the original bad code. When it finally comes time to rip out the bad code completely, it's often buried so deeply in the system that it can't be removed without extreme effort. This dynamic applied several times in a single code base will eventually mean that the code base itself has to be rewritten entirely. And if you didn't address bad code last time, it will happen again in the new code base.
0: Yeah, so guys, in this episode, we're going to discuss how to handle it when you find a chunk of bad code. While you can just bluntly tell someone that their code is terrible, you're taking a pretty big risk by doing so and potentially missing out on some improvements that can really help your code base in a measurable way. Problems are opportunities when used correctly, and bad code certainly is a problem. Now, in the aftercast, we're going to talk about how to address bad code with management and how to address it with the rest of the team.
1: So the first key to addressing bad code is to avoid your initial reaction. Uh, Whether you're correct or not, your initial reaction has a fair chance of being wrong um, overly emotional, or, you know, frankly, being based on insufficient data.
0: Yeah. I mean, initial reactions are because sometimes you want to trust your gut instinct, but you also need to verify that you're right.
1: Yeah. It's, uh, it's kind of, kind of important to do that. The other thing is that the speed of a decision often, you know, kind of, comes across as evidence of the quality of the decision yeah and so like when you just when you have a snap judgment even if you are 100% correct other people be like oh you just bit my head off immediately about this thing
0: yeah I mean that that makes sense even if you are correct you still need to spend some time thinking of valid reasons someone would write the bad code simply to be in the right headspace to correct the team member you know, a lot of times when I'm reviewing code and I see something, I'm like, ooh, my first thought is, why did they write it that way? Like, are they right. trying to avoid something else? And I, I tend to give them the benefit of the doubt, mainly because I I know my team and I know my guys are not lazy. So it's not, oh, I'm being lazy. Sometimes it
1: is, they didn't know a better way to do it. And that's yeah, a teaching or, moment. Or they're having to interact with code that's worse further down, you know, like uh, a lot of times you spend a great deal of time plastering over the cracks underneath the system. And Uh sometimes those plaster jobs are not so great either because you just, you know, people did something weird. Yeah. The thing is, if you actually had all the information at hand to determine instantly whether a piece of code is bad in a given context, the only way you could do that is because you wrote it. Yeah. Uh, There's so many variables involved, like you, know, you got to get over the idea that you instantly know because you probably don't.
0: That's true. And with this whole thing, version control history is your friend. Make sure that the person you are blaming is the one who actually wrote it rather than just the last person to touch
1: it. Because it's pretty frequent that you'll go in there and you'll be like, oh, this code's awful, but I'm trying to fix a critical bug right now and I just need it to quit, you know, misspelling the word column for the front end. Yeah. And I just, I got to fix that and I'll write a note about this other thing. So uh, you definitely don't want to blame them about it. However, that is the, a person you want to talk to. Um, exactly.
0: Now we kind of hinted at this um, a little bit, but the next point is determine why the code was written that particular way. You know, most bad code isn't written that way just because the developer is lazy, uninformed, or even malicious something else is usually in the mix and you should leave your job. If you start actively suspecting that isn't the case, like really like that is literally a line will wrote. That just does not sound like something I would say. <laughs> Sorry, dude. <laughs> I well, I mean I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, um, yeah. Okay. I, I mean, you might want to start thinking about, Hey, this is, this may not be the right situation for me if you're, if you're seriously thinking, hey, some like someone here is actively being malicious, or like, why are they being lazy? Because it could be someone is not realizing they're being lazy because, you know, their wife just had a kid and they're exhausted and they're not even realizing they're being lazy in their coding.
1: Yeah, or you know, you're you're in a position where mentally you're not giving people the benefit of the doubt anymore. Like that's a good time to go because you're going to cause the writing of bad code very quickly yeah. uh, you know, with that attitude. Changing requirements and overly tight deadlines will create a huge amount of bad code everywhere. Under pressure, many developers will write bad code that works with the intention of fixing it later. But later is always later. It never comes.
0: Yeah. it's It's something that until you've actually experienced it, you won't believe it. But I remember when I first started, so like this is more for the junior developers out there because you're going to think, oh, I'm going to come back and fix it because in your side projects and your projects that you've done on your own, you've always had time to come back and fix it. When you get into a job, that's not the case because they're not looking at it going, oh, hey, you know, you need to go back and fix this. Unless you put in a technical debt story that like gets right in the face of them and says, hey, this is, this is something we need to fix because it's not sustainable. Nobody's going to know or care until it breaks on them.
1: Yeah, and they probably won't even care if you write that story most places, honestly. It's, yeah. uh, it, it's hard to get that through. Um, another thing that happens is that sometimes bad code is also written to just blend in with other bad code in the system. Uh, good developers are often forced to follow bad standards, and the people in charge are not always the people who should be. In fact, sometimes you end up writing bad code to go along with the bad standards because if you write it better and that breaks, either the rest of the team can't handle it to fix it, or you're just going to get blamed for doing something different. You know, I've worked yeah. in environments where you know their code was breaking 15 times a day, but mine broke you know once in six months, and it was oh you wrote it a different way and that's why yours broke. It's like well, yours breaks every day. <laughs> <laughs> you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. That's because they don't notice it or they don't think about it when it's that regular. Yeah, it's just like that's just part of yeah, that's part of the thing. That's what normally happens. So, yeah, uh, that that makes perfect sense. Uh, And it's entirely reasonable for developers to have outdated knowledge. Uh, Things change quickly, and dark matter developers, basically people with social lives, according to Will aren't living and breathing code 24-7. They miss things. I was recently interviewed for our internal development team newsletter. You know, the new lead developer, they interviewed me for it because they're interviewing all the leads to kind of like get to know your leads kind of thing. And I was talking to the guy interviewing me. He was one of our um, Scrum Masters. And one of the questions was like, how do you keep up with new technology? And... He said, one of the guys said, I don't. Yeah. Like, you know, he's like, I I don't like there's too much new stuff coming out. He keeps up with the things that he's doing, the areas in which he's working. But he doesn't like keep up with all the new stuff. And, you know, that led to a discussion on, yeah, you have to focus. Like when I first started out as a intern slash apprentice, I was learning everything I possibly could because I didn't know what direction my, you know, I was being very general. And then as I started to narrow that down, like I stopped keeping up with the changes in Ruby and the changes in PHP and WordPress stuff as I kind of got away from that. Yeah. And so, you know, but that said, I also know people who like they're working in one area and they're they're keeping up with that area, but that we're having a meeting and They're like, oh hey, well, why don't you do it this way? And they're like, Yeah, that that's been deprecated. We we don't do that.
1: Yeah. (laughs) You know. That sounds like that uh, that Java interface you were talking about previously. It's like, oh yeah, we we use dot net 2.0 or whatever. We're not updating, you know, those people made the same decision at a corporate level. That's true. That's
0: true. Yeah, it's it's just like that. I mean, it's annoying, but you know. And and the thing is like with that particular person, he didn't do that kind of stuff. So his last level of knowledge was hey this is a quick easy way to do it. So we're looking for a quick like what's the quick easy way to build this and he's like oh hey why don't we do it that way and it's like uh yeah that's that's deprecated he's like oh okay. You know, he didn't get offended by that because he knew it wasn't his area of expertise.
1: And speaking of not knowing that it's your area of expertise or not, uh the code might also not be bad. Um it could just be done in a way that you're not used to and maybe that way for a good reason. Yeah. Um, I, have, I know that I feel that way every time I ever look at WPF code. I feel like they picked probably the wrong uh, character for that middle initial. <laughs> <laughs> um, it just it drives me <laughs> up the wall the way that the state management works, but it's that way yeah. for a
0: reason. No, I, I, I get that. There's coming back to Angular after having done Angular JS for a couple of years and then several years in just.net and .net core coming back to like the new angular it's so different and I, I got a little bit of it through some cross training but now being like in there as like the lead developer on this team doing an angular application it's just like oh my goodness
1: yeah it's it hurts when you have yeah. to switch like that um, and if your initial reaction is the code's bad versus it's a learning opportunity, you miss learning opportunity and you tick people off.
0: Yeah. So the the next thing that you should do is to have a better solution in mind. And, and this is something that I always try to do. And I, I don't know. I've, I learned it so long ago. I may have even learned it before I met Will because it's so ingrained in me. I'm like, I can't tell you where I learned to do this. But you don't ever go at something with, here's what's wrong, and that's it. You go in with, hey, I found something wrong, or, you know, hey, here's a better way of doing it. All the criticism in the world is useless when you can't articulate a better solution. You know, if you can't say, like, at least uh, going back to the Angular example. So I was talking with, one of the developers on my team, especially like this was like the second or third week that I was leading this team. And I was reviewing some of his code. And I was like, hey, why did you why did you do it this way? It was a, I think it was unit test code actually. But, uh, and he was, he was kind of explaining it to me. I was like, okay, well, is it possible? It was like, I'm still, you know, relearning a lot of stuff in Angular because it's been a while. I was like, is it possible to do it this other way? You know, and It it kind of blew his mind. He was like, "Huh, yeah." And he starts typing, and like, stuff starts popping up on the screen, and he's like, "Yeah, um, what do you think of that?" (laughs) Like, and it was this whole like, like I didn't come at him and say, "Hey, you know, this isn't very good code," and just leave it at that. And it like, it wasn't even that bad a code. It was just there was a better way of doing it. And I I just came with, "Hey, is it possible to do it this way?" And that got him thinking, and he solved the problem.
1: I just asked a question. This kind of brings up the next point is that, you know, this, this way of doing things has another benefit. It forces you to give real objective reasons for why a piece of code isn't optimal instead of subjective ones. And this has the effect of making discussions with reasonable people, more reasonable. And it makes discussions with less reasonable people, more obvious. (laughs) Yeah. That's like, it's a real quick filter. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It, Speaking of reasoning, it's also a good time for you to examine your own reasoning, like critically examine it in regards to your better solution. If it's only better because it addresses potential issues that aren't likely to arise, it's not really better. It's just gold plated. Now, is it better because it allows you to be you know makes it more scalable it makes it more you know in the case where i was talking with him it made it easier for other people to come in and add stuff yeah so it made it easier on other developers and like that that was like the the whole situation was just like this you you could see because we're on a video call i could see the look on his face just change it's like oh yeah okay like it was like this whole like eye-opening moment and he was like, "Why didn't I think of that?" I'm like, "Dude, I've been doing this for several years longer than you have." I was like, "I've run into the issue that that causes in another language, in another yeah. framework, but like it's still the same core concepts." And so, yeah, it was it was funny, and like he just like, and that completely changed his perspective on that. Um, and it's so it's so amazing when you really address bad code the right way you not only can make someone like you not only make them a better developer, but you can make them a friend. If that makes sense. Well,
1: they're, they feel comfortable talking to you about your bad code too, because you're going to write some.
0: Oh yeah. I've gotten a few (laughs) Slack messages from that junior developer about stuff that I've done. And he has no problem telling me, you know, Hey, you know, you missed this. There was one day where I was just, my focus wasn't there. And, he caught two or three things in my PR that I just completely glossed over. And yeah, that's why we do pull requests. Absolutely.
1: And this is also really helpful when either you or the other person uh, is new to the team uh, or both uh, mm-hmm. because previous teams may have had a different set of constraints, you know, different standards. Uh, they may have written stuff in an older version mm-hmm. of the language that didn't have newer constructs um, or they just didn't learn that certain things were bad ideas for a while Mm -hmm. Um, this means that the meaning of good enough is not the same for you as it was for them Uh, this kind of lets you articulate your reasoning and assumptions so you can find out which things are actually wrong versus just assuming you're correct going in
0: yeah absolutely i mean that's that's really what you want to do with this whole thing is not just oh hey i'm you don't want to come in with an attitude and it's, it's all about the attitude. If you have an attitude of I'm a better developer or like in my situation, if I come in with, I'm the lead developer and I'm going to tell you how it's done, you know, no, that wouldn't have worked at all. But coming in with the attitude of, Hey, is it possible to do it this way? Uh, and legitimately, I didn't know. Like, I'm like, there could be a reason he did it that way because I, I'm, I, I'm, relearning angular at this point i'm like you know is there a reason maybe i don't maybe i don't know something
1: well and sometimes it's not just the language reasons either it could be a business constraint like you can't do it because of regulatory oh yeah
0: i've seen that i've done that and usually i try to put comments in my code for stuff like that
1: i'm sure they were creative comments too
0: well i am a creative what can i say
1: yeah you love regulatory as much as i do so this takes us to the next point, which is to determine whether your better solution was actually workable at the time that the code was written. Yeah. Just because you got a better solution in hand doesn't mean that you actually know whether the, the person that wrote that code could have actually done that. You need to note that this discussion also kind of matches any discussion of personal self-improvement, right? Like you're like, oh, when you were in this situation, you should have done this. Well, if they weren't capable of doing that. At that point, it doesn't matter. It's not relevant.
0: Yeah. And, you know, this is something that I've been dealing with uh, recently is the whole like, oh, well, like ruminating on things of like, oh, I should have said this differently. I should have done that differently in my personal life. Uh, and, you know, and it, it's something that I've recently had to go, you know what? No. It is what it is. It happens that way. And, yes, at some point I can look back and go, hey, what can I learn from this? But I've had to recognize I'm not at that point yet. I'm at the point of, all right, I got to stop these thoughts. And so, you know, taking control of that. But yeah, you're you're right. You know, just because you can see a better solution after the fact doesn't mean that it was available in the time or that you could have at that time.
1: I mean, they may have just been junior. Um and the other thing is, there may have been other constraints in place. Yeah. You know, it, or the developer didn't know, or they they couldn't do it because of time constraints. I mean, it's it's important to make sure that you know what those constraints were before you start judging somebody on not overcoming them.
0: Yeah, exactly. Also, it's a lot easier to come to somebody with suggestions for improvement when you can acknowledge that they didn't have a lot of choice when they wrote the code. Empathy helps a lot here. And, you know, it's it's funny because with this, you got to put yourself into their shoes. That's empathy kind of thing. But just like think about, all right, not only all right their situation, but like, all right, their level of knowledge, their understanding of the business process. Because I've worked with people who had really deep understanding of the business process, like surface level code, because they were a junior developer, but they've been working there for a while before they yeah. like like I literally know people who went to Nashville Software School while they were working at a job and then came back and like got hired as a developer there. And yeah. deep deep business knowledge, understood that better than any other developer on the team. Still a junior developer. So you got to look at where they are. And sometimes if they're really good at one thing, like I've seen some I've also worked with designers who have gone into development. And you put them on a, a UX heavy project, they're gonna shine. And you're gonna forget that they've only been doing this for six months. Right. Because like they're in their element. And then you get to doing some of like the trickier JavaScript stuff things. And that's when they get lost and you're like, what's wrong? Why, why aren't they doing such a good job? And you realize, oh, wait, like I'm I'm treating them like I would treat a senior developer and they're a junior. And I'm like, I should be in there teaching them how to do
1: yeah, it's, it's also a lot, uh, you know, th- that empathy thing. It, it kind of makes you smarter because if there is a repeated pattern of bad situations leading to bad code, uh, which you're going to be aware of because you're empathetic with the person who wrote the bad code, uh, being aware of it in general can help you avoid doing the same thing yourself it's also worth bringing up to management if you can get away with it. Sometimes you're in a position where you can and other people don't feel like they can for whatever reason.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I, I, can, I can see that. Sometimes management wants to know, especially if you're in a lead position where you're like a team lead or something, and they're going to want to know, hey, how's your team doing? What areas do they need, like, do they need help? And if you have good management Telling them, hey, this person's struggling in this area isn't going, isn't going to hurt the person. It's going to have the management go, oh, okay, well, let me look into finding a class for them to take to learn it better. Or let's make doing stuff like that part of their performance plan so they can, like, they'll have motivation and they'll be given the work hours to actually improve there.
1: Yeah. Or let's put them on the kind of work they enjoy instead of this stuff that we stuffed them on six months ago and forgot about them.
0: There's that too. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that happens a lot more than you want to think about. Um, and sometimes, you know, management will listen to you, and they won't listen to somebody else because that other person may have burned bridges. You never know what's happened. Oh, that's true. man have I seen that one a few times. Now, the next step is to figure out how you can actually refactor the code. Um, if you still like your better solution, after all this stuff, you need to figure out how to get there from where you are. Now, unless the code you're looking at is very small, this is something that will have to be done in stages or make it interrupted.
0: Yeah. Figure out several steps to get the code into a better state with the code being in a working stable state at the end of each step. I mean, so you want to do this like the, the true concept of Scrum. You right. Know, where at the end of each sprint, it is workable code. And so that's how you want to kind of take that as like, all right, We're going to go work on this part, and when we are done making this fix, it's going to all work. It's not going to be perfect, but it's going to all work, and then we'll work on the next piece, and then we'll work on the next piece. And you're going to have functional code at the end of each one.
1: And this lets you be interrupted, uh, because you will be. Uh, That's the default state. Um. Most of the reasons that code is bad have to do with how that code interacts with other code in the system, either due to calling that other code or being called by the other code. As a result, you need to carefully consider how far out into the rest of the system your changes will spiral and make plans for limiting that scope, um, however you have to do that. And that depends a lot on your language, what, what you can get away with.
0: That's, that's very true. Now, if you don't have tests around the existing code this can be a really good time to add tests for your existing version of the code. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but all throughout this podcast, whenever we see an opportunity to add unit tests or any type of testing, we tell you to do so because it really, really helps. Um, can I just brag just for a moment on my team? Because yesterday I was running some tests, so I was trying to push up a PR. And uh, we had to make some changes to a certain library. And I noticed we had 100% code coverage in that library. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. I bragged on that team publicly for that. I was like, you guys, that's... I mean, it's a small library, but still, you guys put in the effort to get that. You deserve to be bragged on. Yeah, that was really cool. I'm, I'm like, oh, yeah, I got a great team.
1: That that really does help. and And it makes it where you can do those kind of small fixes quickly and get interrupted because you know that it's not busted right now or you can quickly assert that uh, versus manually testing um, so it takes the risk out
0: yeah so when you do approach the person make sure to do it at the right time and in a non-threatening manner you know don't tell them there's a problem with their code and instead ask if you can run something by them or or if they can help you understand something. It's more important at this phase to keep from making them defensive than it is to be right. I had a a recent issue where one of the the other developers had been out when we had done some refining, and I didn't realize until he was talking about how he he had done some routing stuff that I was like, oh, he wasn't here when... Because uh, it's for an internal application, and the PO is our architect, so he like was, I want it specifically this way, and so I um, I had to figure out a way to publicly say you're doing it wrong without saying you're doing it wrong, you know? Because I had to get the architect involved to be like, hey, no, I do want it this way, because I could have missed a conversation where he said, oh no, I don't want it that way so i'm like all right i got to i got to make this a little bit public you know still just within our team but i'm like all right so what i did was i just started off with cuz i'm doing another related component i'm like all right here's what i'm doing that you have to link to what are you doing that i have to link to like how, how's your routing and he he showed me and i was like oh um i'm pretty sure that we're supposed to do this and i tagged the the po in it and P.O. hops on, he's like, Oh yeah, you uh you weren't here for that conversation. I forgot to put that into the the acceptance criteria. That's my bad. You know, it's sort of like it it turned into this like, oh hey, like nobody's at fault here because what the developer was doing was the right thing based on his knowledge.
1: And you know, another thing is to not approach somebody when they have a looming deadline or when they have personal slash work drama going on. Of course, some people That's how they live. Um, Don't do it right before people go on vacation or uh, right after they return from vacation. Don't make this harder than it has to be by being oblivious to the political landscape.
0: Yeah, I mean, this goes for for more than just approaching someone about their code. But um, my manager told me that um, some of my junior... like. The junior developers I'm working with are going to be coming up to me about, hey, you know, what do I need to get promoted? And she's like, I talked to him about it a couple of weeks ago, but they wanted to wait to talk to you until you got back from your um, your kind of working vacation. I'm like, there, right there, that's a sign that they're ready to be promoted. That's what I told her. I'm like, that is some, that is like, that's a good sign right there.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, hitting people in the middle of vacation with something like that.
0: I mean, I was working while I was down there, but like they're like, you know, no, we want to wait till he gets back and he gets like, you know, gets settled into his routine again. And then we'll be like, hey, you know, can we start working on these things? And I'm like, man, I have a great team. Sorry.
1: I just, well, I mean, that's the thing. Like developers are kind of famous for not having a clue that other people have emotions and lives. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, like we have that reputation and we really, really need to not have that. Because yeah. we have to work with other people now. And yeah, when you when you go to somebody to tell them their code sucks and you do it at the worst possible time, yeah, they're just gonna make them defensive and they're gonna think you're a jerk. It doesn't even matter if you're right.
0: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> no, then depending on the personality type, no, like I think as we're recording this, the Enneagram type eight episode came out. And if you know that they're a type eight, because I worked with one as my lead developer when I first started you just walk up to him and you'd be like, dude, your code sucks. And here's why. Yeah, And like, you better be able to defend it. But he absolutely loved it. The, the more confrontational you were very, very rare to find that in someone.
1: Yeah. But especially in you, software. It seems like, yeah. uh, you know, maybe the, in other disciplines, it's maybe more common. I, I, yeah. I feel like that type tends to get sucked into business stuff.
0: They, they do. And they get pushed up into management a lot faster. So because that's kind of what happened to him. And he he like got put into this director position and has absolutely flourished. Yeah. So, you know, it happens. Just most importantly, remember to be respectful. After all, everyone writes, you know, the occasional bit of garbage code. And when you talk to someone about theirs, you're training them on how to treat you when they find mistakes in yours.
1: Yeah. Or how they treat the rest of the team. Um, If you don't, you know, even if you do like the confrontation, maybe you've got other team members that are going to cry. And so maybe you don't need to be egging that on. Exactly. Now, the next tip is to mind your wording. Really be careful about strong, subjective value judgments of somebody else's code. Calling it terrible, garbage, or even spaghetti code. It may feel accurate and we might agree with you, but it isn't a useful way to actually get the problem fixed. Unless you're in a management role, your goal is to solve problems, not to browbeat other people into not causing problems.
0: And even if you are in a management role, your your job is not to browbeat other people yeah. into not causing problems. There's
1: some organizations, though, let's be honest.
0: That's 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 some bad management. I, yeah. I'm currently reading a book that's going to become at least one, maybe a handful of episodes on leadership. So you Is
1: know. that the Leadership Without Authority? Yeah,
0: it's a really good book, dude. Um, you, should, you should get it. Uh, I, I've about a quarter of the way through it, and it is phenomenal so far. A little outdated in some of the jokes but and references, but, you know, that's what happens. Generally speaking, if you word your suggestions for improvement in such a way as to describe them as opportunities instead of, you know, hey, you did bad and you need to get better, it's going to be easier to get the other person on your side. I'm remembering when I hit that... Um, junior to mid-level arrogant phase. Uh I remember that. And we had a consultant come in. And his first thing, like, first thing he said to me uh, after looking through my code was, you don't have any formal training? I'm like, no, I'm self-taught. I did an apprenticeship before I came here. He's like, wow, this is really good for someone with no formal training whatsoever. He's like, I'm seeing design patterns and, you know, these other things in there. And I'm like, cool. He's like, do you want to know how to make it better? And dude, I was hooked. I yeah, and still he think did. the of that guy. Yeah. The answer. Yeah. I mean, I still think highly of that guy because that's the right attitude to have. It was like, hey, dude, you did a great job. Here's how to make it even better. Because he knew that that's what I wanted. Like, I put in that much effort to learn uh, up to that point. And then, yeah, I'm going to want to make it better. And so that's like, that is a really great approach to have. Also, you really want to avoid accusatory wording, asking what the reason was for structure, um, rather than saying why. Because why is more likely to provoke a defensive answer than something less subjective. So like a lot of times that's what what I will do is if I, because, I mean, like I said, sometimes it's literally, I don't know why. I'm like, so what was your reasoning behind choosing this?
1: Right, and it's like, uh, because I wasn't thinking at all, frankly. <laughs> like I just did the thing, and it made the the managerial noise go away. So I did it more. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. uh, th- there's there's a fair bit of thought that that's the way it is. So the
0: the next is work towards your answer without giving your answer. Oh man, this is one of the hardest things to learn how to do as a as a lead developer is to not just tell them the answer. Honestly, I was talking to my manager about this probably my third or fourth week there after I'd done some pair programming with my guys. I'm like, man, I feel like I'm being so mean to them by like making them work toward the answer. And she's like, um, they both have said that you're like one of the best, like Pair of programmers they've been with because you don't just tell them what's due. I'm like, oh, okay, good. I don't feel bad. I just felt like I was being mean. She's like, no, that's not mean. That's what they want.
1: Yeah, so. they want to they want to walk more than they want to get carried somewhere.
0: Mm-hmm. It's great when you have a team like that. I'm not. I'm. I've seen. I've worked with people who were not were not like that. And it is great when you do work with people who are like that because you guys can do, get a lot done. So earlier, we suggested that you figure out exactly how you would do it. In general, it's not the best idea to simply show up with the fix. I reject your code or replace it with my own. is a bit cocky. Um, and it's a lot riskier if you're wrong.
1: Yeah, instead ask questions to lead them through the thought process you had when you were looking at their code earlier. Uh, Not only is this likely to still lead them towards the same general answer, but it also makes it more likely that they'll consider things in the same way in the future because now they know how to get there from here versus, oh, this is just the right way. You never want to start a cargo cult. (laughs) Like I'm serious. I've I've worked at places where I've done that from a managerial position and, oh, this is the best way. And you hear somebody go, oh, Will said this was the best way. It's like, no, this is the best way in this one case where, you have, where you're parsing a two gigabyte string. It, like, it's literally never going to happen again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's a real example, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: this also forces you to check your assumptions at each stage. An incorrect assumption early on can lead to a wildly different answer. If people initially get the impression that you're just throwing out poorly thought-out solutions to get attention, it makes it a lot harder to get your point across. Now, if you come in with, hey, I think there's a better way to do it. Here's an idea. Let's try it out. Yeah, that's different than going, here's a better way to do it, and then being wrong.
1: Well, my first boss out of college, uh, his name is Joe Audette, and he's still a software developer. And he does open-source stuff. Dude's awesome. But he called me on this because I was very quick to jump in with some answer, and a lot of times without really having the information I needed to have to give that answer. And he's like, "Cause you ever watch Seinfeld? Yeah." He goes, "You're Kramer. Like, don't be Kramer, <laughs> you know?" <laughs> because he jumps in and he's he's got that he's got some input and he hasn't, you know, he's got no social cues on that. He goes, "Even if you're right, people don't like Kramer."
0: It could have been worse. You could have been George.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, he was—he was nice, but he like he got the point across. He's like, you know, that's the—that's the main piece of advice I'd give you, and that has stuck with me to this day. And it—I mean, it made a huge difference in my career. Mm -hmm. So, Joe, if you're listed, man. Thanks, because that helped.
0: It also helps you from like just completely running over your shyer, more timid
1: teammates. Yeah, which makes them resent you. Now, the next thing. Ask good questions uh, when you're asking questions. Be specific. Don't ask, you know, do you think this code's good? Instead, ask, is this code good for this situation? If this happens, what will happen here?
0: Yeah. And,
1: and you know, start with enough information to get an answer. It's really irritating when the only answer is it depends. Uh, you want those variables out of the mix so that you can actually get a real answer.
0: Mm-hmm. So... You want to prefer questions with straightforward answers rather than essay questions. Short answer, I would say. Because you you don't want a yes or no answer. You want like a short answer, not a big explanation. Answering questions is probably not super high on someone's priority list. So make it efficient for them if you want to actually get an answer. Yeah. Why did you do this? Do it this way? Maybe not the best way to approach it, but like I can't think of a good like example of a short answer question.
1: How much data were they telling you would come in when you wrote it this way?
0: That's yeah, there's a good one. Yeah that's good. Yeah. And then, you know, make it obvious that you've put the work in to be able to ask the question. You know, remember that people answering, they're also having to make assumptions about your knowledge level. And you'll get more useful answers if their assumptions are closer to correct.
1: Yeah. Funny how that works. And finally, uh, let's talk a little bit about what to do once the two of you agree on how to fix the problem or that there is a problem. Just because you have a better way of doing something does not mean that you need to fix it right now. Holy crap. If your team is under any kind of deadline pressure um, or has a lot of people working near the problem code or in it directly, don't touch it. Just leave it alone until that isn't the case. There's no reason to, you know, unless unless it's just absolutely breaking everything. You can usually get by with a Band-Aid for a little bit.
0: Yeah, I mean, this goes back to what we were talking about with, like, doing the fixes incrementally. Of course, most of my stuff catching bad code is in a pull request. So it's before it gets out there. But a lot of times... I will message the person or there have been a few times where I, I've gotten on a call with them about it. And we literally were, were looking at it and going, all right, well, we've got all these other stories and you know this other one is going to be addressing the exact same area of code. Let's just go put a comment there to fix it.
1: You know, like it's like tuning an engine. You tune the engine when you're in the garage. You don't do it in the middle of the desert. Mm-hmm because it's a dumb place to do it. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. a, again, this is, instead of being aware of other people's personal situations, like, be aware of, hey, we're paid to write code for money to do a thing. The code is kind of secondary to that. You know, Yeah, very near term. And you need to be aware of that. So a lot of times you'll just agree to a partial fix to get rid of the worst aspects of the problem with a real better fix later. So, like, if you're getting rid of a giant memory leak.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, or the, or those kind of things. Uh don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I have seen that. I've done that to be honest oh, with yeah. you. I mean, if you're in development for any amount of time, you've probably you you've you get that it's like this it's almost a form of arrogance. Really. Yeah. You know, where you're like, all right, I'm gonna get it just just right. And you see like you're working on a team, you see someone do it, and it's like, oh, that's not the way that like that's going to make it not perfect. And you want to go like make them make it perfect because it's the way that you would do it and that is not not healthy or helpful. So. <laughs> now, at some point you will have to let management and product owners know about the problem so that you can make sure that they don't find out the hard way. Depending on your organization, this might need to happen after the fix occurs, you know especially if they are feature driven and you know kind of hostile to code cleanup efforts uh, a lot of times what i have suggested to people especially when doing some like uh, consulting and stuff was all right sneak it in like if you're going to be working in or when the when working with a deadline it's like oh hey we're touching that piece of code to add like add this feature okay make your changes then right you know make your fix when you're already touching that that piece of code because you've already got time dedicated to doing that and a lot of times making that fix makes it easier to do the feature and it ends up saving time overall at least that's what i've seen
1: yeah and i'll also say if you're if you want to be considered to be a professional you don't ask people who are not professionals in your field what to do when you detect a problem sometimes like it's it's like hey this is really busted I need to fix it, regardless of what the guy who last programmed VAX in the nineteen eighties thinks about my <laughs> web code. It's not, you know, like there is a certain degree of hey, I have to produce good value here, uh, regardless, you know, in spite of management. Sometimes you you get into those dynamics.
0: Yeah, and, and sometimes like that's the thing we're we are professionals, and if you've got good management, they trust you as a professional, and so. Yeah, it's it's one of those things like you're 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 hired to build good code and sometimes management doesn't know what good code is and they don't know like what fixes the problem now may cause much bigger problems down the
1: line. So guys, it's not hard at all to find things to criticize about other people's code or even your own code from 6 months ago. However, it's much more difficult to present a working solution and get everybody on board without upsetting anybody. Even if no one gets upset, you still want to make sure that any resolution of a coding problem leaves the code base in a better state than when you found it. Done properly, every time you find bad code, your team has an opportunity for growth. However, if you do it poorly, every time you find bad code is an opportunity and almost a certain starter for conflict. If you want to have a long and productive career, you need to master the art of telling people their code sucks in a way that helps actually fix it. That pretty much wraps us up. Beach. what do you have uh, this week for us for Tricks of the Trade?
0: So, guys, something that we talked about a little earlier on in the episode just kind of got me to thinking. And, And that's, you know, we talked about how, like, I think I even said some people view their code almost like their child. They become very possessive and attached to it. And I I just, I want to encourage you guys to not get too attached to your code. And it's, yes, it is something that you created, but it's something that you created to send out and you move on and you create something else, which kind of leads me to the main point that I want to make. And that is watch what you allow yourself to become attached to, you know, watch out for the attachments that you make. Attachment is not inherently bad. You know, relationships are built from attachment. Like they, and friendships are an, are a form of attachment. And so like, that is a good thing to have. Being overly attached can be negative. It can be hurtful. And so you, what I'm getting at is, even outside of code, like don't let yourself become too attached to your code, but like watch out in other areas of your life What you allow yourself to become attached to. You know, if you really love your car and you become super attached to it, if someone bumps into it with their shopping cart, you're going to get really upset. That should not upset you. That should just be like, whatever, you know, because it's not that important. And it's going to, it's an internal thing that's going to bother you, but not anybody else. And so you're only hurting yourself when you make those kind of negative attachments. Honestly, that would make a really good podcast episode sometime in the future. So I might add that to to the backlog. But uh, so, guys, that is pretty much all I've got. Uh, don't forget to check out the aftercast, where we are going to talk about um, how to address standards and best practices with with others relating to their bad code. How to talk to management and then addressing the problem with the rest of the team. We will catch you guys next week.
1: by for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at Podcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. For references, show notes,
0: and extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Help us make the show possible by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Complete Developer Podcast. You'll get extras, including a weekly aftercast where we discuss the topic of the week and bonus material with some of our patrons.
1: You can also follow us on Twitter at Complete Pod, like our page on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram to keep up with news about the show. Join the conversation anytime via Slack by signing up at slack.completedevelopernetwork.com